0: Uh, Tony Evans is a pastor and a preacher at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. I saw him several years ago at a couple of different Promise Keepers events. He's a great speaker, dynamic speaker. He loves Jesus and preaches passionately, Uh, a DTS, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary graduate. Um, He told a story on his radio show a little while ago that sets the stage for our message today. He said that he had a crack show up in his wall in his bedroom in a house that he and his wife had, had built not too long prior to that. Uh, he had a contractor come out and repair the wall. And a little while after that, the same crack along with a couple more showed up in the same wall and in a couple other walls as well. So he called the contractor, he's pretty upset, obviously. And he said, you need to come back and fix what you said you fixed before because your work's faulty. And he expected them to come out and do the job right. Well, guess what? The contractor came out and he said he could not fix the wall much to Pastor Evan's chagrin. He asked the contractor to fix what he had messed up, and the contractor informed him that the problem was not the contractor's work, nor was it the wall. It was the foundation. Uh, The foundation of this newly built house was shifting, and as such, all the repair work in the world would not help these cracked walls. Fix the foundation, the contractor said, then the walls could be fixed. That contractor had found the root problem. Tony Evans then had the foundation repaired, which was an extensive job, obviously, and then he had no further problems. The main issue was revealed and then fixed, and then there were no more problems. Today, what we're going to look at, Jesus is going to address just such an issue. And our issue, the issue he's going to address, is inside of us, not under a house somewhere. So we're going to look at our passage. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. And our message today will focus on verses 10 through 20. So here is what we truly believe and and covet and treasure as the very words of God. Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 20. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let me pray. God, we do ask that we would be given understanding and wisdom and power by your Holy Spirit as we look into your word. God, pray that as we go into this time that we would be open to hear what you would have to say to us. And God, that you would help us address the, the root issues, the main issues of what's going on in our lives with our sin. And God, if there be those who are listening who do not know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work to give new life and that they would come to repentance and faith in Christ for your glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to start in verse 10. Um, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew at Providence for well over a year now. We may be looking into, into the two-year area at this point. We find ourselves in Matthew 15. Um, and we just left Jesus and his disciples. Uh, they had gone across the lake and <coughs> been in a desolate place where Jesus, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which actually was probably more like 25,000 people, with just uh, a few loaves and a couple of little fish, And Jesus sent his disciples away. He sent the crowds away. And then Jesus comes walking on the water out to the disciples in the middle of this great storm. And last week they landed in a place called Gennesaret. Some of y'all are going to get that. But anyway, and uh, when they landed in Gennesaret, people were bringing sick people to Jesus and he was healing them. And and they were showing that they understood who he was and and he was blessing them. And while all that's going on, the Pharisees and the scribes come up from Jerusalem, which is about 80 miles away or so, and they want to confront Jesus. They, they they don't like Jesus. They're kind of the bad guys here, and they come up and they start confronting Jesus about how he and his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, again, this wasn't about hygiene. This was about ceremony for them, and Jesus just wasn't having it. And so he just told them, hey, you guys, and that's what we read in the first nine verses there, you guys are those that, that Isaiah prophesied about when he said, you worship me, but your hearts are far from me. And he just said, for the tri- for the sake of your tradition, you keep traditions, and it's not for the glory of God. So that brings us to verse 10, where he says, <clears throat> And he called the people to him, Jesus did, and said to them, hear and understand. So, who are the people that Jesus is calling to himself here? Again, we had left them last week being confronted by the Pharisees and scribes after he had been healing people there in Gennesaret. So here, the people that he brings to himself are those people that he had been ministering to who had been watching as this confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees were going on. Um, So he's speaking to them, these people who had gathered around him there in Gennesaret, um, those who had brought these people to Jesus and those people who had been brought to Jesus. And when they gather around him, he says, hear and understand. He's calling them to attention. Listen to what I'm about to say, is what he's saying. And I want to make sure that you get what I'm laying down here. And what does he say? Verse 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Now, we cannot, I don't think, overstate how big this statement is that Jesus is making. This is revolution-type talk here in Matthew 15:11. Uh, which, again, is really nothing new for Jesus. He's been saying stuff like this all through his ministry. He said things like something greater than the Sabbath is here, something greater than the temple, something greater than Solomon, Uh, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, I and the Father are one. These are the types of things that Jesus has said and will be saying all through his ministry. So he's he's not estranged to saying out there things like this that are really revolutionary. Um, but what he's saying here is on par with anything that he has said to this point. He says that what goes into the mouth does not defile a person. Now, do you know what that means? Well, it means a whole lot. We talked last week about how the scribes and the Pharisees and their predecessors had, in the words of John MacArthur, built a fence around the law of God, and, and their mindset was doing that in order to protect it. Now, one specific way that they had done that was making a myriad of regulations about ceremonial washings to keep people spiritually clean. Now again, they weren't concerned with hygiene nearly as much as they were concerned with people being ceremonial, ceremonially clean through these practices. And the key word there is, the one I messed up three times, ceremonially, that's the key word. Not germs, not bacteria or viruses, but spiritual pollution. To be spiritually clean, you had to do the ceremonial right thing. Okay, that's super important. And to be ceremonially right as prescribed by the traditions of the elders. So then, to eat with ceremonially unclean hands would defile a man or a woman spiritually. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees taught. Also, uh, there were very plain and specific teachings in the law of God, in the first five books of the Bible, about what animals and other foods were clean or unclean. Now, these scribes and Pharisees and all these fine upstanding Jewish folk would have passionately adhered to these scriptural guidelines about what was clean and unclean to eat. So there were layers and layers of what and how these people were to eat or not eat, what was clean, what was not clean. And here in his statement to the people, catch this, Jesus clarifies what is important and what is not. He also establishes a very clear message as to what God was doing in giving dietary guidelines back in the law. And he was making clear what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing and adding to them. Now, let me ask you this. Was God in the Old Testament leading his people to eat or not eat things through that law in order to establish holiness through food? And the simple answer is no. God spoke of that which is clean and unclean for what purpose? And that purpose was to teach them, to instruct them, to guide them in a process of being separate and distinct He wanted them to be different than the nations around them, separated unto him. And so the question is, is there another word that means separated unto God? And there is. And and the biblical word is holiness. To be holy literally means to be separated unto God. So God was teaching his people to be holy, to be separate and distinct. And the emphasis was unto him by his discretion. So, did food make them unholy? No. Their disobedience made them unholy. Their lack of separation made them unholy. And the Pharisees, whose very name, Pharisee, means the separated ones, were passionate about showing their separateness by what and how they ate, how they washed before, and by policing their traditions in other people's lives. To the Pharisees, holiness was found in a complicated list of do's and don'ts. But Jesus, here in verse 11, says that they're missing the whole point of God's dietary directives. Because you see, Jesus says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. If something gets put in someone's mouth, a clean food, an unclean food, and it was put there with washed or unwashed hands, Jesus says that's not what defiles a person. That word defiles is a word that means to make unclean or to make common or not separated to God. So what Jesus is saying here, and be clear about this, Jesus is saying nothing that goes into a person's mouth can make him unholy or unclean. Now again, this is revolutionary. Jesus had said that he had come to fulfill the law, and in explaining this, he's also bringing to light what that same law actually means and was for. God had surely said not to eat unclean things. But his purpose in giving those dietary restrictions was an effort to communicate to his people that he demanded holiness. And holiness was not an external state, but rather a matter of something else, which we'll cover in just a few minutes. But suffice it to say here, Jesus shows the true purpose of God's law while completely debunking the play-acting of the scribes and the Pharisees and their ritual washing and external Play acting righteousness. He says it's not what goes in a man's mouth that matters, that constitutes holiness, but rather what comes out of that mouth. Now he'll elaborate on that in a few verses, as will we, but let's move on to verse 12, Matthew 15 12, if you're following along in your Bible. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Yeah. So Jesus makes this sweeping statement about washings and the true nature of food in regards to holiness. And the disciples, who obviously were watching for and getting reactions from it, see contempt in the self-righteous Pharisees. And the opinions and proclamations of the Pharisees were very, very weighty to the people of Israel. The Pharisees were seen as the embodiment of righteousness to the everyday Jew. So these disciples who put a lot of stock in pharisaical takes come to Jesus and say, hey, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? They're saying, in essence, Jesus, you're upsetting these guys again, this religious elite, and and they're upset, and they're going to do something. Do you know that what you said bothered them? Now, I don't know what they expected his reaction to be, but look at what they get. Verses 13 and 14. I'm sure I'm telling you right there. Verses 13 and 14. He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Well, all righty then, Jesus. Why don't you just say what you're really thinking? Jesus didn't have any concern, zero concern, with playing man-made religious games. He didn't, in, didn't, didn't engage in it, wasn't interested in it at all, zero. He wasn't worried about the hurt feelings of the Pharisees, nor was he afraid of their ire or their anger. He resorts to a plant analogy, which if you've been with us through Matthew, way back in Matthew 13, a couple chapters ago, we talked about the parables there, right? In, in Matthew 13, he talked about who were plantings of his father and who were not plantings of his father. There was the wheat and the weeds. <clears throat> and Jesus goes back to that analogy here to make clear who and what these Pharisees truly were. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. In Matthew 13, Jesus had said that his enemy would plant weeds in his field and that those weeds would be allowed to grow along with his wheat. Here, he makes it clear that these Pharisees are among those weeds planted by his enemy in his field. Now, don't miss this. He again, as he has before labels these Pharisees as being from the devil. The Pharisees are doing the devil's work and they are the devil's doing. Jesus says his heavenly father did not plant these weeds and their ultimate end will be to be rooted up like weeds at harvest time. So, like those weeds in those parables in Matthew 13, Jesus says, let them alone. Leave them be. I see them, he says, and I know who and what they are. But you... Disciples, you just leave them alone. Don't listen to them. Don't let them influence you. Get away from them. Let them alone. And then this, Jesus says, they are blind guides. The Pharisees had crowned themselves as the guides of the Jewish people. They literally said they were gods, guides. guides unto holiness and righteousness. And Jesus says, they're guides, all right, but they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And get the picture there. Blind people leading blind people, which leads to disaster. So, leave them alone. Get away from them. They're leading people into a pit, a pit of destruction, which was made for the devil and his angels. They're leading people to hell, is what Jesus is saying, specifically saying. And we'll hear and see uh, Jesus elaborate on this whenever we get into Matthew 23, which we'll mention later in the application points where Jesus absolutely unloads on the scribes and Pharisees and their efforts to lead and proselytize people. And it is brutal there in Matthew 23. And Jesus is laying the groundwork for that here, calling these Pharisees blind guides, leading other blind people into a pit. And the point is making sure that his men stay far away from the Pharisees and their teachings. Let them alone. So the disciples are listening to this, and who do you think speaks up? That's Peter, right? Verse 15. Matthew 15, 15. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. So Peter's listening to Jesus talk about the Pharisees, and he recalls the parables, it would seem, and so he picks up on that language and asks Jesus to do what Jesus had done back in Matthew 13, which is explain the parables that he was telling. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Now, I don't know if Peter was trying to get brownie points, which he probably did from time to time, or if he just wanted to know what Jesus meant. But he asks Jesus to clarify these seemingly confusing statements about the Pharisees, about washings, about foods. And truthfully, Jesus is a little bit incredulous. Verse 16. And he said, Jesus said, Are you still without understanding? Jesus, who it would seem feels like he was being pretty clear, asks Peter, Are you still without understanding? Do you, Peter, of all people, not get this? Do you guys who've been with me so long, do you not get this? I mean, really? And then he gives that clarity in what follows, beginning with a simple understanding of how the human body works. Look at verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? You get the feeling that Jesus is kind of using baby talk here to try to communicate to his guys. All right, I'll break it down for you. And he starts with a statement to make clear what should be obvious. Do you not see? Is it not pretty easy to see this plain as day? See what? That whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. It's really pretty simple, right? We put food and drink into our mouths. That food and drink goes through our digestive tract. Some is digested and used to help give energy to our bodies. And what's not used is expelled, to put it nicely. And Jesus says, do you not see that, Peter? That's pretty easy. Now watch this. Here's where it really gets real, verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Uh-oh. Jesus has done gone from simple anatomy and physiology and just jumped straight into medlin. Now let me ask you this. What comes out of our mouths? Words, right? What we say. And where do those words, those phrases, those responses, and reactions come from? Our vocal cords? Well, yes, but Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the... Heart. Now let's be clear here. Jesus is not talking about the organ in our chest that pumps blood. That would be scientifically incorrect, and the guy who made everybody and everything knows that that's not what he's talking about. No, he's talking about the seat of human emotions, the heart, the center of who we are. Strong's defines the heart as the fountain and seat of the thoughts, the fountain and seat of the passions, desires, appetites, affections, Purposes and endeavors. Our words come from our thoughts. Our words come from our passions, our desires, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, and our endeavors. We say what we think and feel. And what we think and feel, Jesus says, this is what defiles a person. This is what makes a person unholy, unclean. And this had always been God's purposes and intentions from Eden up to the law and through the history of of the universe but they had turned these Pharisees had turned holiness into food and ceremonies and washing demons off your hands like we talked about last week but God is always and will always look at our hearts to see our level of holiness think about that for a second God has always and will always look at our hearts to see our level of holiness it is our heart that defiles us It is our heart that makes us unclean. And again, hear that. Our heart determines our holiness and our holiness determines our heart. And what's in our hearts will come out of our mouths, whether it's holiness or defilement. What's going on inside will come to the outside. The outside does not defile the inside. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Look at verse 19 of Matthew 15. For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This verse verse here starts with the word for, F-O-R, tying it to the last one as a result of a cause. What defiles you comes from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. People are defiled because... The heart manufactures desires contrary to the will of God. Our heart is the seat of our affections and our affections are naturally selfish and sinful. And that sin at home in our hearts defiles us. The condition of every human being is to have a sinful, defiled heart and that sin works its way out from our hearts into our words and our actions and that defiles us. This debunks the, the human myth that there's some good people and some bad people or that people are naturally good, they are not. What is in our hearts, all of us individually and as the human race corporately, all of us are naturally defiled. And our heart shows that because it's what we want, it's what we desire. So the battle, the work that we have to do is not to make a show with our outer man Or to regulate and keep rules, hoping to look good and impress other people. No, our goal is to be changed from the inside out. To have our hearts, our affections changed in order to line up with the holiness of God. Our desires have to be reworked. Our heart has to be rewired. Not a self-improvement plan, because our efforts only produce false appearances in an effort to try harder to do better. And that's backwards. That's fixing the crack in the wall and not addressing the foundation that's actually broken. So let's look at our last verse, verse 20 here. Matthew fifteen twenty. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Those evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders which come from our hearts, those are the things that defile us. Our inner man, causing our outer man to show the insidious effects of sin, show how utterly defiled we are. To see our true defilement, we have to look inside. We don't spot defilement by who's washing their hands or not. Well, maybe right now that's a whole different subject. At least what we're talking about is, is spiritual defilement. To eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone, Jesus says. To eat with unwashed hands does not make somebody unholy. The outer man does not defile the inner man. External acts of righteousness, external efforts to appear righteous, do not work. And while it surely is right and good to wash your hands before you eat, failing to do so does neither commend you to nor exclude you from God. Jesus finishes our text today by making sure that his hearers understand the source of defilement is within them, not on the outside of them. Now, before we jump into application here, I want to make one thing clear. Something that Jesus is not teaching here, something that the Bible does not teach anywhere and actually teaches against, is this separation of the inner person as being good and the outer person as being bad. We're we're not Gnostics who believe that nothing good can happen in our physical bodies. We know that sin resides in our flesh, but our flesh in and of itself is not bad or evil. It's the presence of sin that makes it evil. So we're not saying we need to be spiritual and just live spiritual lives, regardless of what our physical man does. We're, we're, we're not teaching that at all. What we're saying is if we're going to see a difference on the outside, it has to start on the inside. So I just wanna make that clear before we jump into application. What we generally do here is we have uh, three, usually, application points based on what we've looked at in the text, how we can apply this text to our lives. What, what we should be doing differently In light of what God is saying and speaking to us on the inside, letting the truth of God's word conform us to his image internally and externally. So we've got three application points, and we usually try to, I usually try to alliterate them so that they all start with the same letter so that they're easy to remember. Our three application points this morning all begin with the letter R, and they are run, rules, and regeneration. Run. Run rules and regeneration that's our application points and the first one is run so in the in the words of Jesus from our text today our application point number one is run and that's coming from Jesus's words and teaching to avoid blind guides Jesus told the disciples to let the Pharisees alone let them alone when they mentioned that his words had offended those Pharisees he didn't want his men impacted or affected by the teachings or ways of the self-righteous religious elite of the day. So he says to them in another passage in Mark 8.15, Mark 8.15 says this, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. There in Mark, he warns them to not only not, not be like the Pharisees, but to even beware of their teaching, which Jesus compares to leaven. We saw back in the parables in Matthew 13, again, see why that chapter is so big, so important, through what's going on here in Matthew. We saw back in those parables in Matthew 13 that leaven affects and infects whatever it is introduced into with a pervasive and overwhelming tendency. We saw that the whole lump was leavened there in Matthew 13. In comparing the teaching of the Pharisees to leaven, Jesus' warning that what they say and do and teach will do the same. It will infect and affect whatever and whoever it is introduced into. So Jesus says, in essence, watch out for it and run when you get near it. Don't toy with or entertain the teaching of the Pharisees. It is dangerous and it will destroy you. Now we should beware, as Christians today, I don't know of any self-proclaimed Pharisees, but we do see a lot of people who um, are outwardly righteous, who try to keep uh, rules and regulations as a way of being holy. Uh, So we should be aware and beware of all the false teachings that are floating around in our world today, and there are many. The Pharisees were self-righteous rule keepers. Run from that. Jesus also mentioned Herod in that verse from Mark, and what does Herod represent? How Herod was king, so Herod here represents political power, right? Run from teachings and doctrines that push for gaining power and elevating yourself in that power above others. And there are scores and scores of other false doctrines and teachings of men that we should run from, and I mean that, run from them. The prosperity gospel, all forms of legalism, teachings that say we can do anything we want since we're under grace. We mentioned both of those last week. Things like anti-church teachings. I don't need to be in church or I can go to church in the woods. Well, here we are, right? We're all separated, but we're still making it a priority because biblically, the scriptures tell us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, we need to self-quarantine when the government says to do that. But it's very important that we run away from any anti-church type of doctrines or teachings. Again, run away from them. Don't toy with them. Don't teach them. These things will destroy you. Right, And we could go on and on and on about other doctrines. And and our call here is to immerse ourselves in the clear, comprehensive teaching of the whole Bible and by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what the Scriptures say. God has revealed Himself through His Word, and He's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness in His Word. So we immerse ourselves in that. And we run from anything that is not lined up with that scripture. We let it alone. We run from it. We should be so familiar with the scriptures that if we hear anything that doesn't line up to them or match them, we can spot it, call it out, and run from it, keeping it far from our lives and our conduct. And in our day and time, with so much out there being circulated in print, online, over the airwaves, it is imperative that we watch out That we beware of false teaching and, like Jesus said today, let it alone. So that's our first application point. Run. The second one is rules. Outer rules. You will never, you, I, we, us, we will never get, quote, undefiled by keeping rules. Now, this is certainly one of the false doctrines we mentioned in the last point. Jesus' revolutionary statement today about nothing going in the mouth defiling a person is proof positive of this truth as well. The Pharisees and the scribes had taken offense at Jesus and his men when they didn't participate in the ceremonial washing of their hands. Their rules were not being kept. The Pharisees' rules were not being kept. And they were sure to confront those who were not being faithful to their rules. But Jesus made it clear that those man-made rules were powerless to save anybody. It was a clear rebuke to their self-efforts and their external righteousness, which was no righteousness at all. He had spent all of the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 explaining that the Pharisees' version of righteousness was not really righteousness at all. We see that clearly in Matthew 5:20, where Jesus says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Their rules had no power to save any one's soul. And Jesus drives this home later in Matthew. We mentioned Matthew 23 earlier. We see Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28 here. Listen to what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, that's Matthew 23 verses 25 through 28. The danger is to do exactly what the Pharisees and the scribes did, what the religious elite did in Jesus' time, and I'm afraid what the religious elite do in our time today. The danger is to make rules the way to salvation. But that's backwards. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Note that this passage here in Ephesians says that we're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Our works don't save us. Grace does. Our rules can't save us. Grace does. And once we're saved, our works will come Because they were prepared beforehand, and it was predestined that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, and our works will show that, that we should walk in them. But don't get the cart before the horse, trying to work your way into salvation by keeping a bunch of self imposed or others imposed rules. It will never work. Rules cannot and will not save you, only the grace of God can. So, run from rules. Run from false doctrine, run from rules. And finally, our last application point is regeneration. And I want to be super clear here. The only biblical way to know and to be at peace with God is through being born again. You need a new heart. Foods don't defile anyone. Rules can't save anyone. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, Truly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Only God, only God can give you new life, and in conjunction with that new life, a new heart. And without that new heart, without new desires and affections, you will never know him or his kingdom. In our last point, it was pretty clear uh, that we saw in verse, uh, the verses in Ephesians 2 that we're saved by grace through faith. And that is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. In order to have my heart and my affections right, I need a miracle of God's grace to occur in my life. My trying harder to do better only leaves me frustrated or self-inflated. And the cracks in the walls may get fixed temporarily, but they're going to come back. And they're going to come back worse than they were before. I need a miracle of God's grace to occur in my life and in my heart. When God was telling the Israelites back in the Old Testament what he was going to do in days to come, he announced the coming of a new covenant. He emphasized something very particular in that new covenant. We're going to look at two passages quickly as we finish. Listen to Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, as God announces the new covenant to his people. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And now, look at two verses from Ezekiel 36 that talks about that covenant as well. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God said to both Jeremiah and Ezekiel and through both Jeremiah and Ezekiel that he would give his people a new heart and would cause them to walk in his ways. Now listen, without that new heart, that which is gifted from God himself, Without that new heart, our desires, our affections, our feelings would never be right. And we could never keep his commands. Without him writing his law on that new heart, we could never truly know what is pleasing to him. And without him giving us his Holy Spirit to empower us to keep those laws that are written in our heart, we could never do it in and of ourselves. We would try to make lists and do this, and not do this, thinking that we were pleasing God, while all the while we would just be stroking our own consciences, our own egos. We would be, to reference the story from Tony Evans at the beginning of the message, fixing the cracks in the walls while the foundation was shifting under us. It's hopeless maintenance leading to our ultimate destruction. So then what? What's the application here in regeneration? We need a new heart. All of us do. In Psalm 51, I'm going to read verses 10 through 17, the last passage we'll look at. We see David cries out to God following his sins of adultery and murder and all the mayhem that followed that. Now now listen, David was described as a man after God's own heart. And here, after he had sinned, after he had blatantly sinned in many ways, this is his prayer, and I would encourage you to read Psalm 51 altogether, but we're going to just read verses 10 through 17. David prays this. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. In this last verse that we're going to read today. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, in light of what we've looked at through our passage today, again, I would really encourage you to go back and look at Psalm 51 and this prayer of David saying, Create in me a clean heart. That word create there in verse 10 of Psalm 51 means to create out of nothing. And who can do that? Only God can do that. We can't restructure or rework our hearts to line up with God's desires. We need a new heart, and we need God who spoke into the void, and it was. We need that God to speak into our lives to create in us a clean heart, a right spirit within us, And God will honor the sacrifices of what? It says in verse 17, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what God's looking for. Not a proud, haughty heart that says, I can do it, I'll try harder, I'll do better, I'll fix the cracks. That's not what God's looking for. And Jesus clearly condemns the scribes and the Pharisees for that type of thinking, that mentality in their lives. That they were going to do everything right, keep all the rules, look as outwardly righteous as they can. But he said, inside They're full of dead men's bones. So God calls out to all of us today and says, I can give you a new heart. I can give you a new spirit, a right spirit within you, so call out to me. So run from false teachers. Don't lean on rules to save you. Call out to God through regeneration for a new heart, a clean heart, and for him to keep you and bless you with his power His grace and His glory for our good. Let's pray. God, we thank You that Your Word is clear. We thank You that You are faithful to send Your Word out and that it will not return to You void, not having accomplished what it was sent out to do. God, You will do what You said You would do. You are who You say that You are. And You are making us into the image of Christ and You're doing it from the inside out. God, help us to run from false doctrine. Help us to not lean on our own rules and help us to look to you day by day by day to create in us a clean heart, God. You have washed us with the blood of Jesus to take away our sins. And so every day we come back to you and thank you for that and ask you, God, not for a new salvation, but to work that salvation into our hearts and out through our lives. God, help us to know that what goes in the mouth does not defile us, But what is within us and what comes out of that heart is what defiles us. We trust you to do what only you can do. And we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That concludes our message. Hope you guys are doing well.